Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with Dr. Sophie Brock on identity in motherhood. We cover a lot of different topics, a lot of different threads that are all related to feeling like yourself when you go through a different change in life. We do speak about motherhood, but this episode is not exclusive for mothers. I think you'll benefit from this episode, whether you have gone through any sort of adversity in life and whether you've ever found yourself wondering, who am I right now or what's important to me right now? I really enjoyed my conversation with Sophie and I'll tell you a little bit more about her in just a second. But firstly, this episode is brought to you by Nutra Organics and in particular, their new supercharged super greens and reds powder. So the Nutra Organics super greens and super reds, it's a new formula. It's complete with 23 nourishing greens and reds that support gut well-being, energy, acid alkaline balance, and antioxidant protection. There are 18 vitamins and minerals from all natural sources. There are also a blend of probiotics and prebiotics included in the super greens and reds. It's the most comprehensive, potent and bioavailable multivitamin formula using only natural whole food sources. This is a pregnancy friendly product and it's suitable for the whole family upwards from 12 months on. And that's how I like to use this powder. I do shot it of a morning for myself, but I also will add this powder to the boys' smoothie, just a little teaspoon in there with their banana smoothie, or I'll put it into bliss balls or also slices. If you jump over to the Nutra Organics website, they have a range of different recipes over there for a lot of inspiration when it comes to really nourishing meals and snacks and snacks that your kids are going to want to eat. And so the new Super Greens and Reds is a great addition to a healthy diet. If you do want to try the Super Greens and Reds and feel a little brighter in yourself, have a bit more of a spring in your step, please do use my code KYLIE15, all in capitals, over at NutraOrganics.com and you will save 15% off the entire Nutra range. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Sophie Brock. She's a motherhood studies sociologist And she provides social analysis of motherhood in our culture, exploring the way that individual experiences of mothers are shaped by broader social scripts. Now, Dr. Sophie supports professionals, business owners, and creatives in revolutionizing what motherhood means in our society and how individual mothers are supported and understood. 
Sophie's offerings include self-study courses for mothers and practitioners. She also has a podcast which we speak about in this episode. It's called The Good Enough Mother. And she also has her one-of-a-kind motherhood studies practitioner certification program as well. You can find more information about Dr. Sophie Brock in our show notes. You can also find her on Instagram at Dr. Sophie Brock. I really enjoyed speaking with Sophie and I feel as though there were so many different directions we could have taken our conversation in. And so we do jump around a little bit, but there were just so many threads, so many threads to grab onto when it comes to identity and what it means to be a mom and the good mom and the bad mom and all of that stuff. I hope you enjoy this episode. It would mean a lot to me if you take a screenshot, pop it up on your stories, tag me at Kylie Camps or at The Fray, and then I can share your stories as well. And truthfully, it really means a lot to me when you do this, when you take the time to share this episode with your community online and just to let me know that you're listening, it makes my day. It really, really does. So please do that and please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sophie Brock. Sophie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. Thank you for having me, Carly. I'm looking forward to it. Now, we've already been chatting a little bit before I've actually hit record and I sort of thought, okay, I'd best hit record and capture some of this because identity is such a massive topic and I would love to know where do you think we should begin with identity? How do you best explain the concept of the importance of identity? Yeah, well, look, identity is a massive topic, isn't it? And it's one that we've been grappling with as human beings for, you know, as far back as we can record and and to think about who are we? And when we think about who are we and we talk about identity, I think we're also thinking about purpose. So, so not only who am I, but why am I here? You know, what is my purpose? Why am I meant to be here? And when we become mothers, we get thrown into this whole new world that it's really hard to prepare for. And all of those questions get thrown up at us about, well, who are we now? What does it mean to be a mother? What's my purpose? What's my place in the world? Yeah, it's really hard. And I think that it can feel really isolating when it feels like we're the only ones grappling with that, but it's really normal part of motherhood, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe one of the most confronting parts when it comes to identity is that you think you're prepared to be a mum because you've been pregnant for a little while. You know, you've had your eight, nine months of pregnancy and you think, I'm prepared, I'm ready, I'm excited to do this. And then you enter motherhood and so many layers of your past self start to dissolve. And I can remember really clearly, Sophie, having this moment of being sat on my bed and feeling grief for like the past version of me, excitement for the future version of me, but just not sure what the current version of me was as this person who now had two newborns to care for. And it's really confronting. It's really confronting. And I think we've all been there. We can take ourselves back to those moments of, and they feel really visceral. They feel really like you can really close your eyes and just take yourself back there to ask, what am I here for? Can I do this? Right. When we ask ourselves, who am I now and who was I? It's also about, well, what's what's lying ahead of me and can I tackle this? There's so much responsibility in looking after and nurturing a new life or new lives. And that feels really overwhelming sometimes. And it's really understandable to want to 
or to have a desire to, to escape that sometimes too and to say that I wish that I could just go back to my previous life for a little while and that's not to say that we don't love our children or that we don't love motherhood but it's also okay to make room for that and to say that there are things that I miss that I'll never get back and it's okay to be with that. Yeah, definitely. And how, in your experience, do you find that that feeling starts to present itself for parents? I mean, it's not just exclusive, of course, to mothers, for fathers as well. But how do you find that that, I guess, loss of connection to self-identity presents? Yeah, well, to answer that question, I might um, explain some of the context because I think it can be helpful to situate that. So, uh, and we mentioned a little bit before we started speaking, this analogy I've come up with of the fish tank of motherhood model. And it sounds really bizarre at first, like, why? No, I'm a visual person. I'm like, tell me, (laughs) give me all the details. (laughs) Me too. And so how this came about was I did my PhD in motherhood studies. And part of that was speaking to, having interviews with mothers of children with additional needs, disabled children. And I was really interested in actually their experiences as mums of what motherhood was like, what their relationships are like, and what their sense of self and identity was like. Mm -hmm. And what came out of that research and took a very long time to get there, but was a, a concept actually that helped to situate these conversations. So we can't actually talk about motherhood. We can't actually talk about relationships and we can't actually talk about identity if we don't understand the context all of those things are formed within. So if all of our listeners can just imagine for a minute a round glass fishbowl and there's a fish inside and there could be lots of fish, but that fish is us as the mother. We're the individual and that fishbowl, that represents our world, that represents our society. And so when we become mothers, where are these fish within these new fish bowls and we look around us and it looks so different. It's like a whole new world. And we kind of have this realization that there are a whole bunch of expectations that come with being that mum, you know, what is a new container? That's right. Yeah. And, and what's a good mum too? I mean, we don't, it's not about being just a mum, you know, putting that in quotations because it's thrown around so often, isn't it? I'm just a mum. Um, but going, okay, well, what are my values here? How do I want a mother? How do I want to raise my children? What was my childhood like? What was my experience of being mothered? And what's my relationship like now? You know, what are we, who are we going to be as parents? And how's that going to change us? And so we're thrown into this new world. And not only do we go through usually these massive physical changes, we go through changes in our relationship. We change how we relate to our work, our career, our values and our goals may even change our friendships change like so much changes it literally feels like the earth that we're standing on has Mm -hmm. shifted and parts of it start to fall away yeah exactly and we have entered into a social role as well and that's the part that I think a lot of us don't speak about or we don't have language around which is why um this part of my motivation in speaking about motherhood is to say that there is also a social world of this fish tank we enter into and the thing is we're expected to know how to do it Mm. we're just expected that it's supposed to come naturally we're supposed to love it we're never supposed to lose our temper or be impatient we're supposed to be able to know how to do it because of our instincts and intuition and it's supposed to be something that we relish in like this idea of maternal bliss we get our you know we work through our postpartum period and we come out with these new bodies that we're able to bounce back to what we were before and and we 
have all of these stereotypes that float around our world that we absorb and we can judge ourselves according to them. So there's this whole really kind of pointing to and, you know, could have a bigger conversation about that, but really just pointing to when we're talking about identity, it's within this context of the fish tank, of Mm. all these pressures and expectations. And that can be really overwhelming and hard, especially when we don't name it and talk about it. Absolutely. And can I just ask, and this might be a silly question, but is there a difference between identity and self-identity? Well, it depends where we're standing, right? So if I was a another fish in that tank and I was looking at another mother and I would say, well, what's her identity? Who is she? And we may label her in a particular way. Mm. Whereas when Based I'm off that social construct. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we we also, we judge others not necessarily negatively or positively, to try and situate ourselves. So we'll say, oh, she's this type of mother, and so who does that make me? Because I guess in a way, Sophie, then that is like us putting a little bit of earth back under our feet. Mm -hmm. Again, you can tell we're such visual people, but like when things are starting to slip away, I guess if we can point to someone else and make sense of them, that helps us to make sense of our self-perception. Exactly. Yeah. And look, going with another visual here. And <laughs> I know. People that aren't visual are going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? I know. <laughs> Bear with us. But if you, it's like stepping off a cliff. Mm. Okay. You go, you fall into this realm and all of us have different journeys to motherhood too. Some of us didn't want to be pregnant. But we found ourselves here and we decided, okay, motherhood's here for us. Well, let's embrace this. Others tried for years and went through a fertility journey. Like we've all been on different paths to get to where we are. And that all shapes this as well. But we kind of step off this cliff once we have that baby in our arms and it can feel like we're falling. For some of us, it can feel like, actually, this is what I've always wanted. And this feels super comfortable. It doesn't feel like a scary fall. Um, But it's also like falling in love. We're we're falling in love with this new baby. That doesn't necessarily come instantly. That can take time to develop. And as we're falling, I think about this as we try and grab out onto things to try and anchor us and to give us a sense of security. And so we can go, oh, grab onto this attachment parenting. Oh, grab onto this. Yes. Baby led weaning. Oh, really? You know, we have different things we really can invest ourselves in a lot because it gives us a sense of identity. It gives us community to tap into because we can find like minded mums. Mm. And it gives us something to focus on when things can feel really disorienting. So I think it's really common. And I was just going to say that makes so much sense too with the whole falling analogy because if you're falling in the early, feel, having that sense of, you know, disassociating or being out of control, that sense of falling. And you're trying to grab onto past tethers of identity and they might not be there. For some people, they might be. For some, You know, I'm sure that there are people that have such a strong sense of self that they can grab onto something and be like, yes, I've still got this. But I also think it would be the experience for a lot of people that they're trying to grab onto work. They're trying to grab onto, you know, friendships that used to be stronger or more important or just grabbing onto, you know, different parts. You know, it could even be like their relationship with their body that they used to have control over. And now all of a sudden they don't. All of these things, you just find yourself going, oh my gosh, my relationship to that has changed. My relationship to that has changed. And that can feel so confronting. Yeah. And I think there could be a lot of shame here too, because it can feel quite isolating. And it's this sense of, well, I shouldn't need to grab onto anything else. This is, yeah, I've got this this baby. I I should be fulfilled. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I should be fulfilled. What's wrong with me? And I look around at other mothers in that fish tank. And I'm like, well, they've got it together. Why haven't I? We open our social media and we're like, but all of these women supposedly have it together. What's wrong with me? And we can make it start to mean something about ourselves. And that's where mm. this conversation about identity can get really tricky when we start to shame ourselves and say, I don't even know who I am. And we're searching outside of ourselves for the answers and the answers aren't necessarily there. So what do what do we do? What do you suggest that parents do when they're going through this? Is it, you know, a case of surrender or is it a case of here are some actual steps you can take or I know where to? Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? I think the first step is actually just awareness. So pausing and going right here, right now, where am I? And to know that in different seasons and different phases, different things will be meaningful. And just because we're grabbing on and trying to anchor ourselves in by attaching to something doesn't mean that's wrong or bad. That might work for you in that season. So embrace that. You know, we we need to, I think, be really compassionate and gentle on ourselves and know that we are our own experts. And absolutely, let's also talk about reaching out for support, therapeutic support and reaching out for help and building your network around you to know that you were never meant to do this alone. That's why it's hard. We weren't meant to mother like this. Um, but to also know you don't have to solve your entire life's purpose, meaning and find out who you are in the next five minutes. You know, like we have time, we have time to sit and settle into this and to know that everything, everything changes, Mm -hmm. right? Like this season will end, it will shift and things do change. So to kind of give ourselves that grace of going, allow myself to be here right now. And what is the one next thing that I can do that's going to have me feeling more connected to myself? For some, it may be a walk, maybe journaling, maybe a coffee with a friend. It may be listening to some podcasts. It may be cleaning the house, you know, little things that are going to have you feeling better within yourself. What's that one thing? Mm, That makes so much, so much sense. And I guess to, as you said, that changes, you know, it might be in the early days that literally the only thing that you can do for yourself is make a cup of tea in a nice cup. And that's going to have to be enough for that day. Yeah, and to not right. not measure yourself against someone who is much further along in their journey. Yeah, because we do that, don't we? We compare ourselves, and in our society more broadly, and you know, in motherhood as well, it's all about how much we can do. It's all about productivity. And the thing that's tricky for us as mums is that a lot of what we do actually can't be measured. And we want to try and measure things because then we can track them and we can tick them off and we can feel accomplished. And we all know. So much of what we do just gets undone. It's invisible. Yeah, it's invisible. (laughs) That's right. And and there's never a finish line. There's not a finish line. Rinse and repeat, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And so in that rinse and repeat, let's find meaning there, and let's find purpose there, and let's find actually how important it is to do nothing sometimes. Mm. You know, and to know that that is productive. That's part of our mothering is to also look after ourselves. I can remember in the early days of having the boys, I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write down everything that I do because I was getting to the end of the day and going, well, I've done nothing, you know, like I've done nothing. Of course, you know, in hindsight, I was doing everything, but I had to actually write it down and be like, oh, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not just keeping these kids alive. It is, it's that invisible load and that effort that's just a continual output. 
Yeah. To externalize it, which is what you did, because when we externalize it, it also helps because we can talk about it more tangibly and point to it and say, this is actually what I'm doing here. And to also know that the efforts that we're putting in today, a lot of the time, it's not for that immediate output that we're so used to and that our brains have been conditioned to, right, in our current fast-paced world and society. We're putting in the effort with our two-year-old right now to set them up for their adulthood, you know, Mm. when they're 25, 40. Like the building of relationship is for the long term. And so whenever we feel as though we're not doing enough, we're not doing a good enough job, we're not ahead in the way that we think we should be to also just allow ourselves to recognise all that we are doing and to know that we can hold both, you know, dream big, think about the future and come back to the daily. We can do both. Yeah. And what about identity as we progress through motherhood? Because obviously it's one thing to be in those newborn weeks in the fourth trimester and to be going through the early stages of matrescence. But what about as we progress through motherhood? How how do people hold on to their identity when they're juggling so much? Yeah. So the juggle is such a common term that we draw it, isn't it? Because it feels so accurate. (laughs) We are juggling things and things do drop. Um, And whenever I think about the analogy of all the balls in the air or or juggling or walking that tightrope, I always feel quite stressed. Yeah. Because it's it's also a performance, isn't it? Because when you're Mm -hmm. juggling, you're being watched. And we kind of know that if we let things drop, others will notice and others may even suffer because of that. And it is a lot of pressure. Um, And so something that I think might be helpful for us to think about, particularly when having this conversation on identity, is to know, okay, where can we choose to put something down for now? Where can we say, actually, right now, I am intentionally placing this down. I'm not going to let it drop. I'm going to sit, create a little bit of space, which might mean putting some things on the back burner and saying, what are my priorities in this season? What do I want to focus on here? Um, And to know that it will shift. And the thing is, in motherhood, and you can speak to mothers of children with all different ages, once we get used to one season and we think we've got it nailed, it just changes. They're so sneaky like that. (laughs) Yeah, they are. And I think that actually, even though that can be really hard to constantly adapt and cope with, I think that also can be reassuring in some ways to know that actually we are going to be going through these constant shifts and we get we get to have more goes at this, right? Like we, we can change how we think about our motherhood. We can change how we parent. We can change how we live in our daily lives. And the changes can be small and incremental, but they can build up to be quite significant when it comes to thinking about how we're doing and how we see ourselves in motherhood. So I think, again, not going too far down into the future because we don't know what the next season's going to look like. We don't know how we'll see ourselves in a year even, let alone five or ten years. Um, But allowing ourselves to be with where we are right now, that's all we can do. Yeah. And something I would love to chat with you about is your opinion and what you understand about the importance of not just focusing in on ourselves as a mum because being a mum is part of who we are or it's, I guess, what we perceive that we do and who we are at times. I I guess I'm trying to get to the point of 
I've personally gone through a lot with going through a divorce and a separation in terms of realizing so much of my self-identity was relational. I, I identified as a wife. I identified as a mum, and then going through a divorce, not being a wife and co-parenting. So there are times when I don't have the children physically with me. It really put me into a tailspin of being like, who am I? Because mm. I, I don't know how I exist or what to do in the world when I'm not certain of okay. that relational identity. So something I've been working through is building more reliance on self-identity of, you know, I like to think of it like a table, having all of these different legs that serve me. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on that and maybe perhaps encourage our listeners to look at things like that because I wouldn't wish them to go through a divorce and I wouldn't wish them to, you know, go through loss. But if it does happen, how could people have a stronger sense of self? Yeah, that's a great question. And what you've shared there really resonates and reflects what the research says around identity and motherhood as well. Um, So if we go back to that analogy of falling off that cliff and grabbing onto things, think about it like that. We bring something close to us. So we bring in the wife role, we bring in the mother role, and that can feel super comforting, right? So it can feel like, oh, I know what this means. Yeah, we we have a pretty clear social understanding of what the good mother and the good wife by the way, she's a myth, like she's unrealistic. We can't actually. By the way, I played her for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And there are always things going on that we don't see, right? So acknowledging acknowledging that. Um, But as you've experienced, when we attach ourselves really firmly to these identities and then they're ripped away from us, it can feel like the world crumbles because it does. It put me into such a depressive hole. Yeah. 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 And this isn't just the case with the mother and wife role. I think it's the case with any role. And actually, I think this is something that pretty much everyone will go through in some way when it comes to grief. So when you lose a parent, when you lose a best friend, like I think grief and loss is part of this because it is a rupturing. It's a rupturing of relationship, of a sense of security, of of the other thing is, um, you know, I wonder if you can relate to this too, Kylie, is that when you go through a rupture in this way with identity and you're no longer the wife or you realise that actually I've got a whole weekend here, I don't have my kids, what am I going to do? What's my purpose here? Um, or you go through grief and, and loss, not only does it feel like a crumbling of the ground you're standing on, it also makes everything else feel insecure because yes. you're like, if this could happen. You can't trust anything. That's, yeah. how, that's how you, I found myself thinking. I can't trust anything. I can't trust my judgment. I can't trust my memory on what it was like. So I found myself questioning all of those things. Like, were the last five years what I thought they were? Mm. And also then you're grieving for the future that you think you had that was certain. So it's the uncertainty. It's just, oh, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, rupturing is a great way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a loss of how you remembered things. So 
And it's also a loss of your imagined future. And this was also a theme that came up with um, the women I spoke to who had children with additional needs and realising that their children or babies had these additional challenges or were going to be living in a different way to what they had anticipated. And it is this grief, but also like there can be a lot of guilt with that and shame of like, I'm not being grateful. Like I should be more grateful here. So I shouldn't be feeling this way. Which is just such a classic female way to feel, isn't it? It's the old sandwich of if I'm going to complain about something, I'm going to let you know, first of all, that I know that this isn't really something I should complain about and that I'm super grateful for it and that I'll be okay. Like so many of us feel that need that if we're going to express that something is difficult for us, we just need to make sure that everyone else, perhaps looking into our fishbowl, understands that we don't want to be difficult. Yeah, because we have been socialized or trained into circumstances where like that this fish tank that I'm talking about with motherhood like we're born into that you know where we're socialized in a particular way not just from when we become mothers like this starts from when we're children ourselves about what little good little girls should be like how we should think act our relationship with anger making sure we're not inconveniencing other people right always thinking about other people's needs like there's a whole bunch that goes into how we're socialized as women that is amplified when we become mothers um but part of it is about yeah not inconveniencing others not being too needy not having desires not putting yourself first because that's self-centered and selfish and all of the ways in which we are also trained to disconnect from the self in order to serve others and so what you mentioned there in terms of thinking back over the last five years of your marriage and going well were they real and how did I, how can I trust my judgment? We are constantly put in situations where we second guess ourselves. And so when something happens that feels like evidence for us of see, yeah, see, our brain, those limiting beliefs is like, found it, here you go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and I had similar experience, you know, as we spoke about before um, we started recording, I've been through divorce as well. And it, the ending of my marriage was a complete shock to me, complete shock. And so you are finding yourself in this place of going, who am I now? Who was I before? Was that real? Was that a facade? Who can I believe? Who can I trust? And the most damaging disconnection of trust or betrayal of trust is actually with the self, right? If we feel as though we can't rely on or trust our own judgment, then it feels like everything else is just shaky ground. There's no way we can find stability. So how can we find a way of changing our self-narrative? How can we find a way of saying, actually, look at where I am right now. I'm still standing I'm still going. Look at the resilience that I've developed. Look at the example that I'm showing my children in what it means to fall down and to get back up because they will experience that in their lives over and over and over. This is part of the human condition, right? Whether you go through divorce or loss or whatever it may be, we will all face challenges, our kids included. And so we're not doing them any favors by pretending that life's perfect and pre- pretending that we're always okay. Sometimes we're not. And that's part of what it means to be human is to show them that and how we can keep moving forward. I'm so glad that you brought up the word narrative there because, again, that's something I've been leaning into is this story. We all kind of have this story that we tell ourselves and, as you mentioned, we're socialised 
into these stories and these parts that we play and having an awareness of when you're getting caught on a story that's not serving you. So for me, an example of that is going, oh my gosh, I never thought at 32, I would separate from my husband. And at 34, I would be single with eight-year-old twins. Like I get into this story of like, how is that my story? But it really is so important to notice when I'm getting caught up in that story that's not serving me and go, you know what? It is what it is. How can I look at it from a different angle? And as you said, looking at it like, okay. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. My story is... I'm showing my children X, Y, Z, like really, really being the author of the story that you're telling yourself is so important and powerful. Yeah, that's how we create meaning in our lives. And we will live up to the story that we create about ourselves. And so I had a similar experience in the single mom label of going, okay, when we attach to certain labels, there are particular expectations that come along with that. So what are the stereotypes? What are we told about single mothers in the media? You know, what are the stories that we've actually absorbed? Like we're swimming around in this fish tank, like we're swimming in the water Mm. of all of the different expectations. But we don't know that we're in the water sometimes. We don't. We don't know we're in it. And so how we start to take back our power is to, to notice we're in it. That's why I go back to what I said to be curious at first and say, well, where am I? What's happening right now? Which is, as you did, examining yourself stories of, oh, what does it mean to be divorced when you're in your early 30s? What does it mean to be a single mum with eight-year-old boys? You know, what, what does all of this mean and what have we been told that it means? And how can we shift our narrative with that? So I had the same with being a single mum. For me, it was like single mum equals struggle. Single oh, mum yeah. equals you're poor. Like single mom. You're not doing it right. Yeah. Single mom equals that you're a a victim. Yeah. And so I had to really consciously, particularly in starting my business, be like, okay, this is not going to work. This is not going to work for me if I am attached to those stories about being all of those things. Not saying that I wanted to be them, but that was the default that I've been socialized into. Like this is the light, this is the role I put on now. This is the mask that I wear now. And sometimes that does serve us for a while, but then we get to a point where we're like, actually, this is impeding me. This is constricting me. This is not allowing me to grow in the ways that I know is possible for me. And sometimes this requires us consciously, as you did in externalizing your mental load of of mothering, sometimes it means writing out our story of our life and examining it and sometimes even letting it go and having that space for us. We're at the beach or we go on a walk and we're like, you know what, I see all the ways that this has served me and I have compassion for my past self and I can see the way that I've done the best that I've been able to in the context I've been in, but I'm ready to let that go. I'm ready to step into a new possibility of how I want to see myself and how I want to live my life. And this applies as well, I think, for people that aren't going through a divorce or a separation and that loss of identity, but it applies for those who, as you said, might be longing for that perfect mum myth or even, I mean, I don't know if I'm sure that you've observed this, 
the opposite end of the perfect mum myth. Like for a while there, there was a big movement of mums who were all kind of more like the fuck it mum, you know, like it kind of swang both ways. So I guess letting that go, that story go, you know, you don't have to be the mum that never has it together and you don't have to be the mum who always has it together. You can just be yourself having a mum experience. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because labels are cages regardless of what the labels mean. So when we say to ourselves, I am the fuck it mum or I am the perfect mum who would not even say fuck, both of those are constricting. (laughs) Yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember um, when the boys were little again and mummy like bloggers you know, Instagram mum accounts were really coming up. And that's what I noticed. It was like there were these two options. You're either the perfect mum who wears all linen, has it all together, or you're the mum who is like showing that your children just watch TV all day and you make light of it. And yeah, just noticing like, are they the only two options? It kind of felt like that, you know, this was eight years ago and just through my own lens, that's what I perceived to be the options. But it's not about that at all. No, but, and, you know, we're actually funneled into those categories. So there's a concept that um, came out of my research called the good mother, bad mother binary. And it's this, if you think about it again, visually of like this good mother up on the pedestal, she is on the top of that mountain and we are looking up there, aspiring to her. And she's looking down below at the bad mummies on the ground who are kind of living up to what is the bad mother myth, right? And both of these are constructions. Neither of them are real. We all have elements of good. We both. all have elements of exactly. And and actually it really serves everyone else but mothers to be living up to these ideals or um, to be down below in the bad mother category because that also drives comparison and judgment between mothers and And the so-called mummy wars, you know. I was just going to say it also gives us a sense of control in the world because we can put people in their place and, again, Mm -hmm. coming back to going, if we can put people in their place and put a label on them, that helps us make sense of who we are. Exactly. Yeah. It's, we want order (laughs) and the realities of a lot of our lives and our identities, it's actually quite complex and sometimes chaotic and messy. And again, I think that's coming back to a fundamental of our experience as human beings. And the more we try and grip onto a sense of control, the more it can feel like it slips through our fingers. As Jordan Peterson says, who, you know, he, people have their opinions on Jordan Peterson, but when he describes the whole, I guess, premise of one foot in order and one foot in chaos, that's life, isn't it? Like it's both. Yeah, it's both. And to allow ourselves to be multidimensional people as mums, you know, like it's okay. We can, we can put on all of our different hats. You use the analogy of the, the table with the different legs before, like we have different parts of ourselves and our identity and something that I think is maybe useful for us to consider, you know, for listeners to consider, depending on how they feel in response to this, some may be really attached to a sense of self as mother. So they can't even think of themselves as anything other than mother. And to know that that's also okay, like that's serving you in this season. But I think that it can be valuable to start thinking about, okay, what are the part, what different parts of me exist here that can be nourished or nurtured in some way? Because our ultimate job as mums is to support our children to grow into themselves. And that means that there will come a time where 
we feel that sense of loss in some way. You know, there's a celebration at the milestones of their life, but at every milestone that they reach is also a loss for us in some way too. So again, like being able to hold and notice the complexities of that. Yes. And I know so many women, and again, I don't want to be gendered and say just women, but most of our listeners are female, but so many parents who go through that sense of loss and detachment when their kids start kindy or when they start school full time, that's when a lot of people I've noticed just personally in my life and also in line in having com- online in having conversations, people can kind of spin out a little bit because it's like they've lost that North Star that they've centered their whole life around. And so I imagine it's important for people to look at the areas of their life, as you suggested, and identify what ways they could fill up those different cups and also perhaps understand that it's okay, that it's not going to be all equal. You know, like if you imagine a circle and you think of like friendship, work, passion, interest, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't have to be all equal because there are times in your life when that is unrealistic you've got a newborn, you're not going to get all of those equal pieces of the pie, but at least going, okay, I know those pieces of the pie are still there and I'm going to make a contribution and whether that's going, okay, I might read a book about a topic that I used to be interested in or you know what I'm saying? like Something little, yeah. yeah. How can you water that a little bit? Is yeah. that going to be helpful, do you think? Yeah, I think so. And and again, recognizing, as you said, so say we've got, you know, we're a, a mom, we've got a newborn, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Okay, like things may be so intense for us right now, but we having a sense of being able to contribute to our hobby or interest how do I even answer that question? I don't even get time to do everything that I need to do. I don't have time for that. And I I know, and I remember being in the season with my daughter and I, um, I was doing it on my own, obviously as a single mom. And I wrote down on a sheet of paper, 10 minutes a day, Sophie, like have 10 minutes a day, even if she's in the carrier on me, just something for me, something that is not related to her, something for me. And just holding a little bit of space in our minds, even to say, hey, you matter, you matter, you are still here, you have needs and I may not be able to get to all of them right now and that's wrong, by the way. I wish that we had so much more support for mums than we currently do in our society. Um, But to know that if you feel that pull and that desire, like that is not a recipe for mum guilt. You know, that is actually part of what it means to be a woman and and a mother is to recognise those parts of us that do still exist, they are still there, sometimes hidden and buried for a little while. Yes, and to not judge yourself for what it is that you can do at the season that you're currently at. I remember, again, having little ones, and I wrote down a list of 10 things, Sophie, that I could do from home that would make me feel a little more like myself. And they were basic things, and it was having a cup of tea out of a beautiful mug, lighting a candle, like those little things that should just be that you take for granted. You take for granted before you're completely depleted and stretched, but not judging yourself that that's all that you can manage at that season and leaning into it. Yeah. So mothers individually carry collective failures. So we are bearing the brunt, especially in the context of the pandemic, right? We bear the brunt individually for what actually are really toxic social and cultural patterns. So every time we feel as though we are individually failing, 
Not to say that there aren't improvements that we can all make and work on on ourselves, but you can almost be sure that you're not alone in that. And if you had better support structures in place, those challenges would not be experienced in the same way. Yeah, it's so much, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so as we move through life, what are some, I guess, practices that we can use to check in with ourselves and make sure that we're not at risk of having all of our eggs in the one basket of identity? Yeah, well, um, I would say first off, just listening to this podcast is part of that, right? So acknowledging what it is we're already doing, because I think sometimes when we focus on the things that we are doing well and that we do feel comfortable with, it can create more room and spaciousness for us to grow in those spaces rather than focusing on the things we're not doing well or saying, I've got too many eggs in this basket over here. Oh no, how do I change this? Um, So focusing, focusing on that also, as I said, coming back to the season we're currently in and asking what it is that I need right now, what can I delegate? What can I drop? Where am I trying to live up to expectations that aren't even my own? I didn't even take these on. Where do they even come from? You know, I don't actually care about that thing. How can I tick that off my list and and get rid of that? Um, And then prioritizing, you know, what is actually really important to me? What do I really care about? Um, And the more that we can ask ourselves these questions and create a space for ourselves to listen to podcasts that we're interested in, to catch up with that friend, to have just some time with our babies, you know, where we're not actually doing, we're able to just be present with them. The more that we're able to do that, the more I think we're able to come into ourselves, the more we're able to connect with ourselves. And that also may may mean sometimes disconnecting from technology as well, I think can be helpful to consider um, for little slices and spaces. But the more we can be present with ourselves, the more we'll be able to relax into a sense of identity rather than feeling as though we have to go and construct it and create it in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I guess the biggest thing that I hear there and just want to highlight is the importance of connecting with self rather than looking outwards because it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to walk into a bookshop and pick up all of the books that are going to tell you the ways that you're not doing it right or the social media accounts that are going to make you feel or you're making yourself feel by by what you sort of take from it um, less than. So, it, yeah, that disconnection from technology I think is a big one. Yeah, and being in nature, right, and sitting with the discomfort that arises when we try and do this because when we haven't, when we, when we are conditioned to be looking outside of ourselves constantly and consuming and accumulating and validating, and that's right. Yeah. It, when we actually shut out the noise and we sit on the grass with our kids and we don't have our phone and we're just sitting, it can feel almost like an agitation. Like, Oh, Oh, what a discomfort. Oh, I've got to unpack the dishwasher. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, that's right, discomfort. And so just allowing ourselves those small spaces of discomfort, um, it's it's like widening our window of tolerance. You know, it's widening our capacity to be with ourselves. And, and then as we become more practiced at that, that's why people take on practices, either spiritual practices or meditation or yoga or journaling or doing things that for people help create that space to be with yourself. Mm. 
And is it helpful, do you think, for people to reflect on the question, who am I? Because I know when I've asked that question just on social media and in our Frey Facebook group, you know, the question, who are you? Who am I? A lot of the time, the first response is relational. It's, I'm a mum, I'm a partner, I'm a sister. Um, Or it is a fact answer, you know, I'm 34, I'm a female, da 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 da, all of that stuff. Is it a question that you encourage people to reflect on? Like, do you do that yourself? I probably don't, to be honest with you, because I think that it's really hard to answer that question without drawing on labels in some way. And we are relational creatures. Like we don't exist in our own little world. That's right. Yeah. Like we, we are going to identify ourselves through our relationships. That is how we come to be made up from when we're infants as well. Um, And so I tend to think about it not so much in the sense of who am I, but almost be curious about who's asking the question, right? So who do they want me to be? Because if I come onto a podcast and I'm here with my motherhood studies sociologist hat on, then, okay, I'm here as a researcher. You're in that role. That's right. I'm here as an academic. I'm here to talk about the sociology of motherhood. You know, I, I go and I'm with my best friends of 20 years. I'm a different version of myself. I'm with, you know, so we, we're allowed some flexibility, I think, in how we answer that and to know that we're not expected to be able to nail down an answer to commit to there. Yeah. I guess the reason that I do like reflecting on that is for me, it brought up a lot of discomfort and it allowed me to go, oh shit, I need to really be more mindful of the different slices of pie that make me up. So Mm -hmm. it allowed me to go, who am I when I'm not feeling like I'm mum because the boys are with their dad or who am I now that I'm not a wife? That question for me allowed me to go, oh, there are all these other facets of myself that I forgot about. There are all these other parts of me that I stopped nurturing. And so that's where I have found that question to be helpful not so much to define who I am, but to remind myself Mm, that I don't have to be just one thing, you know, because I can be Kylie who's up making school lunches and giving the boys a kiss on the head. And then I can be Kylie who has Kanye West blaring on the way home from school. You know, you can have all of these different versions of yourself. You don't have to be just one, but being curious about what else exists yeah. I have found helpful. I think we ask, we find the question helpful or not to ask depending on what season we're in. So yeah, if, yeah. So if at the moment I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling okay with my sense of identity and self. I've done a lot of, of work around that. I know that I'll need to do more work around that at some point. Um, there certainly have been times, I remember actually a family friend um, came over right after um, my separation from my husband when my daughter was first born and so she was this newborn it's this big drama socially because he left me like out of the blue and um these people would say to me like how are you coping Sophie like how are you you just seem so okay you know so it's this facade thing right and I'm like I'm here looking after this newborn how am I meant to not be okay what choice do I have that's right yeah and they said well how do you how how are you doing what you're doing how are you okay And, and how do you guide and anchor yourself in this because there's a lot of practical stuff you know that we go through and we go through relationship breakdown of moving house and all sorts of things that are going on and I said um I am doing and behaving in a way that I believe Sophie would 
So drawing on like my previous sense of self of like, what would I do here? Yeah. And having that self-trust. And that's why I think that it can be useful to ask those questions of who am I? Because we are, we already are, right? Like it's a matter of actually just uncovering that and unlayering that rather than going, I need to go out and, and find myself somewhere. So yeah. yeah, I like the nuances in that question. Yeah, so do I. I like that as well. And just as you were speaking then, Sophie, and saying, you know, you act as though you imagine Sophie would act, I have also found it helpful. And I guess something I want to touch on, I have found so many gifts in being mum, you know, like it's not all doom and gloom. And for me in becoming a mum, having that enter part of my identity, it really allowed me in so many ways to kind of uncover different parts of myself and almost level up because I realized whether or not I wanted to be, I was a role model. And I guess I just wanted to touch on that towards the end of our conversation because sometimes women struggle to do things for themselves due to the the whole martyr, make me little, make me small, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. But if we reframe it and go, okay, I'm doing this because I want my kids to understand the importance of it, sometimes that can be enough of a kick to push people into action. Yeah, yeah. And mothering can be a huge catalyst for growth and transformation. And that's part of motherhood that is not often named and talked about. You know, you get told, oh, cherish every minute. And it's like, well, okay, actually, let's let's talk about the positive parts of mothering and the way that it can be this incredible experience without almost doing it injustice by just glossing over it all. Like, oh, soak up every minute and enjoy it. No, like, let's have a deeper conversation here about how mothering pushes us to our edges it stretches us in ways that we never anticipated but that stretching is part of our expansion that's it's part growth, of our growth by definition yeah that's right yeah and and allowing ourselves to go on that journey and to to grow in, in those ways and that means shifting and changing too but yeah i think that it's so important for us to be able to reflect on all of the ways that mothering and being a mother to our children is such a privilege And that does come with a huge amount of responsibility, yes, but there are so many rewards and so much magic in mothering. And that sense of who am I? Like if I were to ask my four-year-old that, she she knows who she is. Yeah. She knows who she is, you know. And, And so almost seeing our children sometimes is inspirational in that way of, they they are connected to the natural world and environment before the kind of outer world gets to them, right? Our, our little kids, they know who they are. You know, they, they are their own unique little souls and human beings that we have the privilege and often challenge of supporting. And they know how to be with themselves too. Yeah, so seeing it's how a reminder. Pure they are. Yeah, it's yeah. a reminder. And that was us once too. Yeah. And just the last thing I'd love to touch on is, I guess, asking the question about how important is it to be compassionate towards your partner if they're struggling with their identity as a parent? Yeah, I mean, I think that compassion is part of relationship, isn't it? So, you know, the compassion that we're able to give to others also often starts with the compassion we're able to have for ourselves. And so knowing that actually both 
both of you as parents are entering into a fish tank. The fish tank of fatherhood looks quite different to the fish tank of motherhood. Not to say it's any easier. There are a whole bunch of expectations and pressures that come with what it means to be a father. Um, But how they relate to caregiving dramatically is dramatically different to what it's like for mothers. Um, There is more intense pressure on mothers when it comes to the child rearing and expectations that we face. Uh, But to know that it's a whirlwind, it's a whirlwind for both of you. Um, And it's also okay to say, I am not resourced right now to be able to offer you the support that you need. How can we build a support network around us? How can we reach out for help? How can we nourish or create or nurture friendships or other relationships so that we don't have to be everything for each other when we're in a season of having little people of depletion. So That's yeah. right. Yeah. And something I often speak about is resentment. And once resentment gets into relationship, it can be so erosive. And just owning and saying, you know what, I'm feeling detached from my sense of self, or I feel like my identity is all over the show or whatever it is. But having that conversation with your partner, that clear communication And whilst you might not be able to be everything for each other, at least going, you know what, I can see that you need compassion rather than me being resentful of you when you are seeking out different parts of your identity. I imagine that's going to be important. Yeah, that's that's really hard too, because I think the resentment isn't even necessarily towards the partner. It's it's the situation. That's right. And I think if we can maybe just redirect our resentment in a different way to know that like, you don't have to turn your resentment into compassion. Like if you're feeling resentful and agitated and irritated and angry, okay, let's dig into what information that's providing you. Like let's actually say, okay, why is this here? Why is this showing up for me? And again, using our lens of curiosity within that. Um, and to know that, it's okay to seek support with that too. And whatever you're feeling right now, it's there for a reason. So let's get curious about that. Yes. And so many conversations I've had, Sophie, with parents where they've found themselves in a situation where they feel angry and resentful towards their partner. But if they were to zoom out, it's more that they don't want to feel angry or resentful towards their baby. And they also don't know where to channel those feelings because it's a societal pressure so there's nowhere else for them to go so all of a sudden their partner ends up copying it 10 times worse because you just don't know where to put those frustrations yeah and I would say again I mean this is a this is another big conversation we could have on like touching on this point touching on this point I think that when we're feeling that often we need uh, to process it physically, I think. So thinking about how much physical movement are we getting? Maybe we need a massive cry. You know, maybe actually it's not anger. It's There's a lot of sadness, sadness. there. And maybe our anger is justified. You know, and we know the stats as well when it comes to inequality in the household with the domestic tasks. We know that mothers are carrying the load. And so also going, okay, how can I externalise that load, as you referred to earlier, and get a picture out on the table, on a whiteboard, on a spreadsheet, whatever it is, and say, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. What's feeling good for us here? What shifts can we make? Where can we create some pockets of time for us to be us and not to be mum and not to be dad Um, and to have those conversations and to also know that a lot of the time when we are feeling angry or resentful, we often are justified in it. (laughs) Totally. I think that we are justified in it and and just to allow ourselves that I think gives us a little bit more freedom to then go, okay, now that I've had that validation and I don't need to shame myself out of feeling this way, 
what can I do with this? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So then we don't end up feeling like we're irrational and that feeds into a whole other whole other conversation, the it irrational does. female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there are so many things that we could talk about. And I know you do talk about a lot of topics over on your podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast and some of the topics you cover there? Yeah, sure. Um, my podcast is called The Good Enough Mother. And that is a concept that has come from a psychoanalyst and pediatrician called Donald Winnicott. And the idea, the good enough mother is really misunderstood. And I did a whole podcast episode addressing the misconceptions because I was like, this is not what it means. Um, I think people can think good enough mother means settling. Like, oh, I can't be perfect. So I'll just settle. For yeah, being near good enough. enough is close enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so what the good enough mother is meant to denote as a concept is to say that even if we could achieve so-called perfection, for our children in parenting, that would not be serving them. That would I be wish you guys them. could see Sophie's face when she says so-called perfection. <laughs> it's like, <"Bleh." laughs> Yeah, because we would be robbing our children of so much of the depth and breadth and complexity of, of our human experience if we were to put on that facade for them and they can see right through it. Um, and so the Good Enough Mother is really about embracing our full humanness as women, as mothers, of being able to see that fish tank we're swimming within because I think once we are able to have understanding and put a language and articulate and put a name to the context we're within, that's when we can start to unpack it. That's when we can start to examine it and say, actually, I'm going to reclaim a motherhood of my own. I'm going to get really clear here about what it is that I want, the life that I want to create, acknowledging that sometimes I'm facing barriers that others aren't. And that means that my choices will be different to another person's choices. But knowing that this this is it, right? Like this is our life. We're living it right now. So let's do what we can to really live it in a way that is going to be most fulfilling and is going to allow us to feel the full breadth of possibility for us and for our children and to enjoy it as much as we can, which means embracing all of the heart and the challenge that also comes with it and knowing that we're in this together you know this is we're so different in so many ways but like this is also a collective experience and we do also share so much in common I love that and when you spoke about not robbing your children from going or seeing you go through different experiences and challenges because it's going to enrich their life what came up for me then was like yes it's the same with us we can't rob ourselves from going through these hard times, like don't numb out, don't try and be perfect. You've got to go through these challenges because that's what it's all about. As we said, that's when you stretch, that's when you grow, that's when you learn. And ultimately that's what we're here to do. That's right. Yeah. And we just do the best we can with where where we find ourselves. You know, we may need more support. We may need more resources and we may go back and have done things differently, but to just hold compassion for ourselves that we are doing the best we can with where we're at. And we can also make shifts to, to change that. I love it. Well, I know a lot of our listeners will jump over and check out your podcast. So I'll have all of your details in the show notes, as well as your social media handle and everything like that. And I will just mention as well that you recently did an episode with Jackie over on our sister podcast, The Kind Parenting Company, on rage and anger in motherhood. Brilliant, brilliant listen. So definitely go over and check out that episode as well. Sophie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an honor and I would love to chat with you again really, really soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've loved the conversation. This is what I want. 